Welcome to the World of Wisdom podcast. My name is Amit Paul, and today I get to speak about a topic that I am very much engaging on in this uh, moment from a few different um, aspects. And the person I'm speaking to, when I heard her, it was in a workshop, um, and it kind of uh, hit me like a frying pan on the side of the space and on the face, because I hadn't really considered that uh, particular energy or that particular perspective before in that way, something that I had been intuiting kind of just became visible, not really visible. I just glimpsed it. Um, and so Raven Connolly, thanks for uh, the reveal of the dark feminine, uh, which was, she's elusive to me. Let's put it that way. Um, I will um, kind of just welcome you to the podcast with the extremely simple, uh, light question, easy start of uh, who are you, Raven Conley? <laughs> Thank you. It's a pleasure to be on your podcast. And um, it's such an interesting way for us to meet um, within the context of the dark feminine, such an elusive character. I totally agree. And your question uh, is an interesting one. I, you know, I'm a person, I'm a woman, I'm a young woman, I'm in my late 20s. I have been traveling a lot this year, more than I have ever in my life. And so I feel like my identity has changed quite a bit. The question of who am I has expanded quite a lot and has also made me feel a lot more humble. I think there's something about traveling that has exposed me to all the possibilities of how people live in the world, that even though I knew in theory that there were these other places, that I I know what the map looks like of the world, it's completely different to actually go and place yourself in those contexts and see all the life that's happening uh, in the world all around you. And so I feel that I've gone from having a much more parochial existence. I'm from the Pacific Northwest, and that's where I've spent most of my life, to being kind of blasted by the total expansiveness um, of the United States in particular, where I was doing most of my traveling. So right now I'm trying to figure out who I am after all of those exposures uh, and discover some sort of deeper person, some sort of deeper place, some sort of a deeper home from which I can explore even more of the world. So that's kind of an abstract answer. But, uh, that's, that's kind of where I am right now in terms of how I'm thinking of myself. There's, there's a lot to unpack there. And if you wanted to go in the personal direction, I'm totally open to talk about my own bi- biographic narrative. But I also think that there's a lot of there's a lot more philosophical, ontological things to get into as well, and how we learn through our lives about the, the deep, rich meaning um, of existence. And I'm, I'm learning as I'm getting older how much I didn't understand when I was younger. So I'm imagining that that just kind of continues as you, as you grow in age. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For me, I'm... I'm uh... I'm a curious yet certain person, I would say. 
So uh, I've been certain always. And then I realize that I was wrong <laughs> a lot. <laughs> so that's been my journey. Um, no, uh, yeah, that's been my journey. Um, in, in, um, to ground it a little bit, um, what, um, why do you think I'm asking you these questions around or going to be asking you these questions around the dark masculine or like, why would I be asking you these questions about the dark masculine and dark feminine and these energies? And uh, I agree. I would love to go in the, in the more sort of philosophical direction um, and maybe weave it uh, with the personal as well to when, when that's useful. Um, and yet um, just for the listener to kind of understand where you're coming into this topic from. Um, so why, why ask the question of these, of these energies? I think that if we look around socially uh, today, there is a palpable presence, especially in the shadows in particular of the dark feminine. It's not a concept that people are particularly comfortable with or are willing to admit exists. There are some circles where people try to make this point that the feminine or women are also capable of harm, violence, aggression, and negativity. And yet, in the public and within the context of a lot of communities, this is not something that is particularly acknowledged nor deeply understood. And the dark masculine is something that I think we we have a greater sense of familiarity with. It's much more overt. It's often talked about as toxic masculinity. There's a kind of notion of what it means for the masculine to fall that is generally understood, if not kind of misunderstood in its simplicity. I think there's a lot of depth that can still be explored there, but um, there's at least some sort of general knowledge. So I think that the dark feminine comes in as this interesting edge of philosophical, sociological exploration and is vital. It's actually vital for understanding what is preventing men and women from coming together and becoming collaborators in our society and in our world. And understanding that there are these, I mean, there's a lot of kind of, in, in, in even invoking a concept of a kind of energy archetype or egregore, we're working with a level of analysis that understands these things as forces that are kind of manifested through individual action and individual lives. So there's a part of the dark feminine inside of me. And that's something I've been doing a lot of personal work with, is how do I understand how the dark feminine manifests within my personal context? And so the, the call to women in particular is how can we find the dark feminine within ourselves and explore that and also explore how it prevents us from coming together with, with the masculine principles and actually living cooperatively and understanding how to engage in a generative way 
rather than a degenerative way. So I think the question is just really on the edge um, of, of, our, of our social world and that it is really these small communities that are even capable of engaging with it because of having moved through various stages of a critique and analysis and cultural development. Yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking I'll kind of, what I felt like I glimpsed in that session that I was part of um, was, for one, it's, it's, it feels really true to me, the, the way that you are expressing it in terms of what we, the, the masculine forces in general are more visible because they are more objective, if you will, or like objectified or positive or phallic or um, whatever they, they are. They seem to move around in the world in a way um, where we, we can grasp them pretty easily. That's also, at least for me and my upbringing, that's what I've been conditioned to see. And the feminine seems to be moving along along the edges. It, it seems to be more of that background, which uh, the masculine is kind of painted on. You know, it's more of the canvas. And um, what came up to me, like as I was doodling through your session, um, it was a, a donut. And, and then I realized that there is sort of the feminine, uh, the dark feminine would, would be both in the center of that donut, so to say, where where she would be withholding. Uh, or has a has a power to say no. You can you cannot come here. Um, and she and yet she also has that. That's kind of the, the the scene part for me. That was that was familiar for me. I know that sort of the type of rejection of like no, you cannot come here. Um, and what I think you brought in was that other part as well, which is that that exclusion, that that sort of limiting, that boundary setting as well. And so it became like that the donut is the aspect where the masculine is allowed to exist. And then you have, you're contained, you're completely contained and encapsulated by the dark feminine. Um, and a lot of the time as a guy, I've been wondering like, what the hell's going on here? Like my, my options are so limited. Um, I feel trapped and I cannot move. And that's what I felt. I got a glimpse of like what, how that, play or interplay or interrelationship could potentially that could be part of it part of the dynamic that i was feeling mm. so i don't know if that's a nice starting point or or um, if there's a better starting point that you see then uh, please um, educate me mm. oh yeah um. <laughs> <laughs> well i guess i'm 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 curious if you could kind of double click on that for me in the sense that are you you're so you're talking about these energies within yourself so feeling like maybe the dark feminine is something that's that's the constraining force within you can you just kind of unpack that a little bit more for me hmm. i mean the rejection of i felt more in romantic relationships Gotcha. That's been been the sort of, and especially like in in the sexual context of like, no, you know, we're not having sex right now. Like that, this is mine to control. Like, mm -hmm. you know, you're not coming here. Mm -hmm. That's that's easier, so to say, and that's also why it's been kind of visible to me. Mm. Um, the constraining force is like a, it's like a implicit boundary setting, uh, which I'm feeling. I'm feeling it in myself because again through conditioning, but but. Um, 
it's almost easier to speak to in, in relationships as well, where it's like, don't speak to that person. I don't want to speak to that person. Um, don't, um, don't behave in this way. Don't interact with other people, other women, usually, uh, in, in this particular way, um, because reasons, you know, and, and a lot of them then from my perspective would be projections. However, there is still that sort of the consequences of, of not adhering to that particular request is, is very real <laughs> and, and felt. Um, so there is like, uh, and, and yet it's, it's implicit. So that, I mean, in a way there's like a limiting or like a, a, a draw towards using the term violence, uh, you know, as like a, a power rather maybe a, a, an ability to move or, or limit movement. Um, yeah. And yet it's very, yeah, implicit. It's, it's not, it's not expressed. And, and when I push back on that, um, it usually doesn't end well. <laughs> that's, that's a big conflict normally. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. I think that the dark feminine mostly shows herself within the context of highly private, hidden, intimate dynamics uh, between men and women. And that's what makes it such a slippery thing. Uh, it's already protected. And because of those, uh, because of the privacy inherently of those worlds, of those intimate worlds. So that's part of why we are struggling <laughs> uh, to, to really talk about it is because we all inherently, I think, uh, feel a sense of protection for talking about the, our private lives. And it makes it a little bit more difficult to really expose the dynamics that are existent um, kind of across relationships, right? Because it's not something that is like, yes, you and I have seen it and other people have seen it. So it's, it's actually part of this shared phenomenon, these shared patterns. And yet when we're inside of those dynamics, it can feel like it's just you and it's something to be almost ashamed of, right? Because especially with men and women, right? There's, there's a sense of, well, okay, my, 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 my wife or my girlfriend is controlling me. And I don't, I don't want anybody to know about that. You know, I, I want to hide that fact. So I think that's, that's true, that most of the laboratory for discovering these energies is in romantic relationships. And there's something very interesting about that. Like, what, what is that? Like, why is it when we step into those dynamics that we enter into this different kind of world, different logic? And the dark feminine, she reveals herself uh, often later down the line. And, and so that's where I would start. The dark feminine doesn't begin in those conflicts. It begins with the alluring. It begins with the bringing someone in to a vortex right, a, a personality or, or kind of the generating of desire. So you could maybe, I mean, you could think of this as, uh, as the siren song, right, of a woman who is trying to attract attention and bring in men to support her sense of worth, her sense of self-worth, right? Um, and once you've caught a man, then you have a different game. You have to catch one first, and then and then you can begin to um, 
basically like control his energy and use it as a as a as a extension of your own energy energy resources and i think that that's why these relationships feel very draining to the person who's who's being tapped for um by this kind of parasitic force the dark feminine energy is actually sucking energy from another person into itself and it's a kind of an empty hole like the donut it's just an empty hole there's no regeneration in the cycle its energy goes from one person into the other person and there isn't a return and that's why a lot of it can be shown within the sexual right but what's holding of sex is a it's a one directional kind of conflict where someone is trying to give energy in a sense like or get something from someone else and the other person is just saying like no you need to bring more to me you need to do more for me you need to change what you're doing in order for me to accept you. And that that kind of vortex, um, I think, perpetuates this this dynamic until people are just like absolutely depleted and 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 are not are no longer themselves. Um, and often that can be a catalyst for for change. Um, but yeah, those are some ideas about that. I'm curious what that stoked in you. Stoked in you. That's interesting. It's interesting that you bring in the the attraction part. Because that's a lot earlier than I can see what you're speaking to though. And there is something around that energy, that energy um, aspect. And I'm I'm also wondering. Because that's what I felt, what I've felt, because I've explored the dark masculine um, in myself, in, in my body, like where it sits, how he, how he moves. Because it's been a very um, suppressed part of me. So it's been very sort of shunned away. It's been shamed into, into obedience, uh, partly. And what I found in him was that there is so much potential there's so much life force. Like when I, when I get to move him, like be in him, that, that like sort of, I mean, one, one expression of it in me is that sort of just aggression that takes over that, that just really, you know, you just lose it in, you lose yourself into that. <sighs> and it would make sense to me that the dark feminine would, would, be able to take and channel and move that energy and, and call it up even to move it. And so, so that was, that's what came up to me. It's like, there seems to be like a really nice sort of puzzle, like the puzzle pieces that fit together, like they would be calling upon each other in a way, and also preying upon each other. One, one, which is much more generative and, and explosive and one, which is sort of that, that um, sucking sensation. Yeah, yeah, consuming. Yeah. Consumptive. Totally consumptive. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, I think that that makes a lot of sense to me. And I think we naturally understand that the masculine energy is, is is phallic. It's inserting energy. It's expressing. It's like explosive. And when it gets into its extremes, it's it's like violence, aggressive, overt violence, destruction that is um 
about putting energy into the world and it kind of the world collapsing because it actually can't hold that amount of energy. Um, like a bomb going off is an expression of a masculine form of extreme energy transfer. The integrity of the thing that the energy is being given to is not part of the part of the goal. The maintaining of that integrity is not part of the goal, right? It's the destruction of the thing that's the goal. Yeah. And I think the the dark feminine is in the op in the opposite way. It's about tapping energy resources and controlling them and sucking energy in. So I think one of the one of the interesting worlds that I've kind of explored is a lot of the meta like the metaphysics or mythology around the internet, for example. And a, a lot of people uh, in, in, in the digital world who are exploring various memes, they think of the actual web, the internet, uh, as a as a dark feminine force. It's alluring. It draws people in and it sucks their energy and it turns them into these like gray aliens, these 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 things that are like no longer in no longer in relationship to their vital life force. The thing that they have been drawn into the web is actually tapping them of their vitality and draining and draining them. And leaving them in a position where they don't have enough energy to leave even once they've realized the kind of dynamic that they're in. And this I think is, is, is a great, a great way of understanding the dark feminine uh, as a sucking, as a sucking force. The succubus is, I mean, there's lots of work of exploring like dark femininity and um, I would say like more misogynist spaces online. And that's where I kind of started learning about this stuff. Um, which obviously you have to, um, you have to remember the context that these mostly men are coming from when they're talking about women in this way, they reduce women to the dark feminine, I would say. But at the same time, there's a lot of really good mythologizing around what the dark feminine forces are coming from these spaces. Uh, and it has allowed me to see, uh, what what these principles are in reality and that we're actually interfacing with them not only with people but also with forms of technology like the internet for example that's nice that that comes alive for me because it that's what i was that control piece i mean so much of our current moment um has to do with control it seems to me like i'm i'm, I'm very much sort of and been involved in and very passionate about sort of the sustainability space, um, meaning or like regeneration basically, but like really looking at these collapse scenarios and, and sort of the, the, the sort of, you know, Hydra like, um, crisis that we are in front of when it comes to the, the different sort of the multiplicity of crisis that we are and tipping points and whatnot, you know, and a lot of it seems to lead back to well, power is one thing, but but control particularly, and like wanting to control and contain and so forth. And that's, in a way, it's maybe we can walk that territory a little bit, like and unpack it a little bit. Like, what what does the control aspect look like in the masculine, and what does it look like in the feminine? And like, is there like what are the nuances that are, that are there? Like, what are the layers of that control aspect when it comes to the dark feminine? Because I still feel like I don't know her. 
that well. Mm. I'd say you can see that these forces work together. Um, if you think about, let's say you're an ex you're someone who's trying to go and start a mine in a rich third world country, rich in terms of natural resources, you have to use a lot of violence, like actual kinetic violence in order to rip the trees out of the ground and get your excavators, you know, into the mountains to begin to just rip the earth apart right so that would i would say is like a dark feminine a dark masculine force right that's an inserting force that's attempting to move things destroy things like destroy the integrity of an existing place in order to expose but then it switches into a dark feminine force which is the extraction of that energy and that that is like the kind of cooperation of these two energies together in order to kind of create the, the, the highly extractive energetic context that we happen to be in today. And we are tapped into those resources, right? So like we are benefiting from this relationship between the dark masculine, dark feminine forces, because we're living in a time where we're basically the infants of the dark feminine. We're being fed by her extraction of, of, the, of Mother Earth, right? Uh, and these two forces together are creating the possibility of even stealing these energy resources from the future. You have to use the masculine to go in and rip things apart, but then the, that dark feminine force is the thing, that's the greed that keeps you stealing things and leaving everything basically dead in your wake. No responsibility to clean it up or to take care of it, but just to take it and move along to somewhere else. That's kind of how I would conceive of it, it, it if we're going to go in a kind of like thinking of it on a planetary scale, on an energetic scale. But the way that it could look in a relationship is a, as a woman who's particularly in tune with the dark feminine, she has a history of relationships, all of which she leaves the person that she's with just completely drained of any resources, of any energy, and cuts ties and then moves on to someone else. And she often would leave the person, right? Like, it's like, oh, I've ditched you. You're, you're done giving me energy. I've wasted you away. Now I'm going to move on to someone else who doesn't know, who is unsuspecting of my extractive way of being and i'm just gonna allure them you know suck them in and then destroy them in the same kind of cycle and then when i'm done with them ditch them and move on so that would be a more like interpersonal way of understanding that mm. yeah that's nice i mean you're, you're pointing to these um you said it too like with regards to vitality versus as reading Nora Bateson's uh, paper. I don't know if you're familiar with her mm -hmm. work. Yeah. Okay. But this whole idea of like insidious processes versus aphonopoetic uh, processes, mm -hmm. um, sort of vital, hidden, vital processes and, and hidden draining processes or, or, or lethargic uh, processes. And um, yeah, it, it really also what you, you know, that image that you drew 
with regards to the internet as as the dark feminine as that that's really capturing us and holding us and, and draining us from from life it's like that that addictive pattern that's triggered and and that's also you know you, i've seen that in in myself and and also in friends when they've been in in that type of relationship it's you are you are addicted to the person there is you are stuck in a way it's a cycle and, and you want to keep coming back for your fix because there's also some potential there or something that you are um, longing for that was once there or maybe it was there maybe it wasn't maybe it's just in you you know but it is definitely a a hole of some some shape that you want to fill in yourself and that's why you keep coming back um, yeah yeah I mean I think at the core of this I, I've been exploring this within the context of borderline personality disorder um, I think that borderline really kind of describes some of the dynamics of the dark feminine and gets into the interior experience of, of maybe let's say a, a borderline personality disorder affects like at least the people who are diagnosed with it are mostly women. Um, so I think in a way it kind of reflects that dark feminine being something that women are more in touch with. But what the core of it is that there's a sense of a, uh, a weak center a person who doesn't actually have a strong sense of self. The true self is not actually governing the person. The person is not gravitationally oriented around their own center. And so there's this kind of wobbling. And the need in order to like feel that you exist to have a continual witness. And I think that this is where women in this context become very controlling of their partners. Because it's basically like, if you're not thinking of me, I don't exist. So I have to constantly be policing my sense that you're remembering that I exist. And so if you're talking to another woman and you forget about me, then I disappear. If you leave the room and you don't tell me where you're going, if you don't tell me what you're doing, then I don't exist. That there's this idea that the only way in which your presence is is valid is if someone else outside of you particularly a partner is confirming your existence and of course that's such an energetic drain on other people and it also creates this volatility like a moment of extreme ecstasis right like especially in the beginning of relationships this woman is probably going to be like a mirror super reflective of the other person and definitely trying to merge with them create like the context of intense bonding in order to ensure that that person is going to have a lot of sunk cost a lot of things built into the relationship that makes it much more difficult to leave right and so the mirroring allows for that sense of sameness sense of connection sense of like almost specialness right that that can emerge in a particular dynamic but then over time that bond just naturally by the course of life becomes threatened by other interests, by other people. And that's when you start to face events that, that test the relationship. And in that context, you'll, you'll see that this, this woman who has this weak sense of self, she can't hold herself in the face of, of conflict or in the face of, the relationship being challenged she needs the other person 
to give their energy to validate her existence. And, you know, kind of going back to where we started and, and why the dark feminine is even a conversation that's being had and how that relates to the masculine is what's being discovered in these Nordic women's groups is that women need to be holding the masculine energy within themselves. That's where you get the strong center. That's where you can know yourself and hold yourself and not hold the man that you're with responsible for something that you're responsible for. So that's kind of part of working with these energies is, is discovering that part of cleansing the dark feminine from oneself is actually incorporating the honorable masculine so that women can hold themselves within the context of, of interpersonal conflict um, and energetic conflict between men and women. And are not trying to force men to take responsibility for things that are actually part of what what a, what a, what a woman is responsible for in herself, right? So that's kind of how we can move forward from this. And I don't know if we're ready to go there, but that's kind of like the thing on the horizon is how do you take this knowledge and then use it to begin to change your own behavior and your your own sense of being. There's a lot there. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> One thing that that popped up was to to just kind of oscillate back to that systemic level and and, and that planetary level. Um, Because it, it also, it points to the way that you're describing it in the interpersonal dimension, it also points to something which I think is actually true for for, for the way that the extraction is going and why we are so um, stuck in it, why it's so difficult to stop. Because um, we just keep doing and we keep designing. And through that, we keep reiterating the same patterns that we are already iterating. Mm -hmm. And so an exploration that I have at the moment is this whole idea of generative sequencing. And so like, how do you, how do you look at patterns that would be generative sequences? Like how can you actually imagine origami that in our interaction, in our, in our crewing, in our bonding, in our organization building, whatever we are doing, how can we activate patterns that end up generating life in the end that aren't mm -hmm. lethargic, that aren't draining? Um, so. And, and it is, you know, it's like the Buckminster Fuller thing. Like you have to, you have to invent your way out of it, but it's not another thing. It's, it's a how, it's a process, it's a way. So it's like a falling back into, and of course, like there is also in a way, like in, that's where we need to, where I've, I've been trying to work on and, and, and reintegrate the feminine, the, the, the light feminine, if you will, then, but that sort of the background, the noise, the, the, the state, the being, the that sort of ground that you're standing on, which isn't necessarily the, the thing or the event, but rather the, the actual process and the continuous unfolding. And the... So there's one part I, I just wanted to make visible because it was it just became very clear. Mm -hmm. The second thing, which is a curiosity, um, because of, I'm, I'm reading um, Christopher Alexander, um, 
uh, who is, uh, yeah, okay, you're familiar. Um, and, and he has this theory around when he's talking about generative sequences. And, and one of the things that he's talking about is talking about centers and fields. And so he's mentioning that all objects um, and subjects, I guess, you know, but, but objects as in uh, are not necessarily, they don't have a clear boundary. There's a center to them. And then they kind of, they kind of fleet out from that uh, as a web of relationships. Mm-hmm. And that came very much alive to me when you were speaking of, of, <laughs> of the lacking center. And so it feels to me that you are trying to, trying, kind of trying to, the dark feminine would, would inhabit the space, like the field, more than the center. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's something, it makes you, in my experience, when, when I lose my center, I get dissipated and I get very susceptible to, to um, influence yeah. or to capture. Totally. Yeah. I don't know how to phrase the question, but it's, it's like, I mean, how do you? Can I just respond to that? Yeah, um, please, please. I would Thank just you. say, like, <laughs> save me. That's, yeah. Um, <laughs> that's exactly it. So that's what it feels like to be on the inside of this. So if you're, let's say, you're a woman and you feel like your 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 center has been destabilized or maybe it's never been stable that's kind of actually the situation we're dealing with here is people who have never had a stable center women who have never had a stable center it feels like other people are manipulating you it doesn't feel like you're manipulating other people it feels like they're manipulating you which is where the accusatory stuff comes in where the punitive stuff comes in where the i need you to get away from me or you feel unsafe like it's it's not me, it's you. That is how it feels to be on the inside of it. And it's part of what perpetuates that dynamic is, is that there is a lack of responsibility being taken and a lack of self-awareness by the person who's experiencing this lack of center. They don't even realize what they're doing to this other person. Instead, the other person is the perpetrator of, of some kind of violence, right? And they're the victim. One of the taglines in Borderline is, I love you, or like, it's it's like, I, I love you, but I hate you. It's like, I, oh, I hate you, don't leave me. That's what it is. I hate you, don't mm. leave me. It's like, mm. I love this person, but I actually, because I love them, I hate them, but I never want them to leave. And that's the kind of conflict inside of all of this. It's like, I'm trying to push you away. It's like, don't, I don't understand you. And I feel like you're manipulating me. But at the same time, actually, what's really going on is I'm, I'm dependent on your energy to feel safe and to feel centered. Therefore, I can't let you go, even if you want to leave. And if you threaten to leave me, I'll hold on even harder and hurt you even more. And that's the vicious cycle that people get in with these with these kinds of, you know, personality disorders, but I think that you can kind of extract from that these energetic dynamics that we're talking about as the dark the dark feminine. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, but let's let's kind of zero in on that that energy component because I think it's it's interesting in the in the um, <laughs> in the interpersonal space. But then I've I've been starting to play with naming other energies that I that I perceive around me. So like money, of course, is like one, which is very sort of, which would be then, you know, mammon or something like that in my vocabulary. Um, also these like strange attractors, like these, you know, denigrating systems dynamics, you know, the whole Moloch thing um, that's been going around the sense-making web. And, and then just puzzling that with this piece of capture that we were just kind of exploring like how how you are captured and how you are pulled or tweaked or susceptible to that capture um would you speak to that part as well how do you think about that hmm. how do i think of can you expand that a little bit for me i'm not sure what you're pointing to yet let's see if i'm sure what i'm pointing to yet <laughs> <laughs> I, it, there's a sense that I have, which is around, it has something to do with our, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a critique, I think a little bit of, of our perceived individuality, that we are much more a result of our, of our context. And that it is, we've been talking about it as if, um, we're, we're a dyad. And, and that dyad is kind of isolated in a way, like in a relationship. And so like that interpersonal dynamic is the only dynamic that's going on. And I think what I'm, what I'm trying to ask or point to is that there are so many other sources of energy around us uh, as well that would be feeding into our loop mm. or, you know? Yeah. And so oh, again, totally. then if, if you are this yeah. decentered person that, that are, that are in, in this sort of, in the weaker or like in the more in your field, if you will, not in the center mm -hmm. then. Um, and you are susceptible to capture by any energy because that's, that's really what you are kind of looking for is, is to, to find energies so that, so that you can sustain yourself. Mm -hmm. um, totally. Then, then how, how do these like larger dynamics or like systems dynamics, oh, okay. like how do these play streams play in? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, I mean, I would say that thinking of things in terms of individuals is really just like a, it's, it's, just a, it's a convenience for talking about things specifically, and it's just relatable. But, you know, even in my explorations of the forces of the dark feminine, the dark masculine, I think of those things as being hyper objects. Mm. And that's actually been super helpful for me depersonalizing these things. So I think that you're right. If you have a weak center, let's say you've never had a strong center, which I think is the case for a lot of people in at least Western societies, at least in Western American societies. I can't speak for other countries because I don't have that context, but that's at least what I see here. It, it is being manufactured because it makes you a much better consumer of identity and much less likely to move sovereignly throughout the world 
if you've never stood within yourself in a strong way. And I think that's why we're seeing more and more of this is that there's actually an incentive by Moloch, you know, the, the, the people who kind of have been captured by those forces themselves to perpetuate this decentered, drained, confused, desperate state in people. And that's where I think the compassion comes in. It's really easy to demonize someone who is acting out the forces of the dark feminine, feminine or the dark masculine. But if you take a broader perspective, you can see that these are like societal ills and that these are even energies that extend throughout human history and that some societies are intact enough to to teach their children to watch out for them <laughs> and, and to know how to engage with, with malevolence. Malevolence is a feature of existence. There are devils everywhere. And it's a matter of how do you play in the world of malevolent energy. And, and we just don't have that literacy uh, as a people anymore. And instead, we live in a kind of upside down world where malevolent energies are seen as totally normal things to tap into. I'll just plug into the wall. Like literally, like my whole setup here is plugged into a form of malevolent energy, which is extracting resources so that right now I can live in abundance. But many years down the line, there will be scarcity if we continue down the path that we're in now. And so those, those asymmetries, the discount rate you know, of the future, the stealing from the future, as a perspective that's being perpetuated and is completely and totally normal, I think is a context we're all living in. We're living in growth mindset. We're living in extractive mindset. And there's those parts of us that are completely seduced by that reality. I've seen it in myself. And it's, it's, it reveals the hypocrisy that we're living in, that you can be you can be the most enlightened social critic in the world and yet also find this extractive mindset inside of yourself playing itself out at all levels of your existence and the even the ability to purify is limited because we're living within a context that isn't is entirely bound up with this to reify this notion of reality of infinite growth, which of course, if you're in the regenerative communities and the circular economy communities, you know that there's another reality that's possible and that this is maybe actually a norm within the context of human history to live in these circular economies, but that's not the world that we see around us today. So I think that systemically, just by living in the world, we're being taught that and, and we're being reinforced or trained to develop these kinds of behavioral qualities or to tap into these kinds of future projections. It's almost like a physics. 
it's a physics of reality. It's like, oh, if I do this now, then this will happen. That type of future projecting of infinite growth and the capacity to just continually extract is something that we're being trained to believe. And the, I think one of the only ways in which you can kind of begin to push up against that is like, is to live in a way that you're aware of your failures to predict the future. If you are trying to do something and you fail, then you have to go back to the beginning and say, well, what, how was I wrong in my projections of the future? What was it? What was the generator function of me not knowing how things were going to end up unfolding this way? And I think that that is the kind of thing that if you live in a world with a lot of slack, which is for a lot of people in Western societies is the case, you don't have to do that work. You can just move on to another resource to extract more energy from. You don't have to try and figure out why you failed in any given moment. Or you may not even be in touch with your failure. You may not even know that you failed because the environment that you're in doesn't have that clear feedback loop. There isn't that clear understanding. Like in a relationship, for example, just going back to that, that kind of concrete example. Breakups. There are two sides to a breakup. And sometimes both people walk away thinking that they're in the right. And they don't see the other person's perspective. They don't learn that there's a failure in there, a failure of generating a paradigm of being in relationship that led to both of those people breaking up under aver like adversarial conditions where they don't agree on a story and they don't have a shared reality at the end of it. Instead, they split and there's a fork in the road. There's the one person who goes away with the story that the other person is the perpetrator and then the other person goes away with the story that, that the other person is. And I would, I would consider that to be a failure of coherence, but either one of those people may not even see it that way. They can put blame on the others. And that's the kind of thing that I think we're kind of continuously doing as we walk down the road. We're like, Oh, you know, I'll just like offload the responsibility onto another person, onto another thing, onto a system. I mean, these are all things that we're constantly like seduced into doing, you know, to alleviate the burden of our own responsibilities. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's, I mean, you're speaking to, there's so many levels kind of parallelly sort of singing, coming alive in me. Like it is the, what one part I think is, this is also the blindness that is in the in the sustainable sustainable development and the the I mean just developmental communities in general, but also that I see in in circular communities and that I see in there is so much um, hope and goodwill and naivety in about how how bright and shiny the future is going to be that we we don't um, have the energy to look at what already is, um, yeah. and at the same time. There's also, there's a willingness to go to the moves and to keep doing what you're supposed to be doing to kind of check the boxes, to look good. And then there is that, again, it's, it's that energy that you get from 
just engaging with the system as it is in a way, like that reward that you get for for being good um, and 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 not asking and questioning. And, and I love the. <laughs> It really landed in me. I felt it viscerally when you you mentioned that the fact that you're plugged into something. This interaction that we're having right now is literally fueled by the future. Like yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and at the same time, like the other aspect that I'm that's bubbling for me is like that that deep compassion for us as decentered uh, people or like people without a center centerless people like how hard we are working for this stuff and how shameful it is to have to realize and admit that despite our best ep- efforts um we are unable to quit you know we can't quit our addiction like we are we are at least addicted to energy you know that that's yeah. <laughs> at least <laughs> and then there might be a lot more the list might be longer for most of us totally yeah 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 i mean we're all human and there's just some consistent qualities to that uh, a sense of acceptance a sense of belonging a sense of progress a sense of of status respect right these are just basic human needs sense of a sense of being needed of being important of people remembering you of of people inviting you and caring about you and these are all you know they're maybe insignificant any given life is maybe insignificant within the context of history but it's still something that we all struggle to to deal with. Um, I do I, I do want to bring in something which is the therapeutic paradigm, which I think is is really an important one to remember. It's it's if you're in therapy for borderline personality disorder or or even something that's not that extreme but something that's related to having a weak sense of self or dealing with depression or dealing with any like trauma or a, you know a history of abuse the one of the first steps is radical self acceptance radical sense of self worth the development of an intrinsic sense of meaning and purpose in your life and remembering that just because you you've had traumatic things happen to you just because you've perpetuated trauma in the world doesn't mean that you're not worthy of love or acceptance that there's still some form of innocence uh, that can be found and grown and you can be reborn that you can step out of that healing context and become an effective person in the world to embrace a future. You can embrace a future that isn't the same set of patterns that you've been living inside of. And that's that's the perspective that I'm trying to bring to myself and therefore to, to the world at large, which is to say that you have to continually be building this sense of compassion within oneself to hold the possibility of change within other people 
Because if you're not able to forgive and deeply validate other people and their existence, even when they've done things that are wrong or they've had things, horrible things happen to them, then there really isn't any path to a better future. We are all colluding in a reality that we could, we could see as being extractive, as stealing from the future, as being a moral outrage. How could we possibly overcome our own sense of guilt and shame if we don't have that compassion to break the patterns? So I think that that's something that I think about as being a necessary part of the conversation that to demonize people for their collusion in these forces is to basically leave them behind and say that they're not worth bringing into the future with us. And this is the same kind of uh, this is the same kind of thoughts that those people have already that they're suppressing in themselves to that that cause them to have these these kinds of maladaptive behaviors in the first place, right? So this is like the trauma response is is like something has happened to me that's so shameful that I have to hide it and then I create a false self and and then then I'm just basically playing a game of time before people discover the real me, which is this completely unworthy thing. And that type of split reality is part of what creates this, this wobble, this donut that you just described in the beginning, this hole in the inside of people. And you don't have that uh, capacity to hold people and forgive them. And you're not really able to help us move into a future where people can actually redeem themselves within the context of their lifetime or intergenerationally as well. Thanks for bringing that piece. That's that's yeah. yeah. It feeds back. It feeds into it to say that there's nothing. Yeah, that the dark film. You know, to, to say all oh, the dark feminine. Oh, that's bad. Well, we, you know, I know the women who represent the dark feminine to me. Like they're mm, you know bad, and it's like, well, okay, well that's not giving them a bridge. You know, it's 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 um. That doesn't mean that it's an unconditional love thing uh, where people can just continue to be abusive and we just continue to accept them. But more that we step into our sense of responsibility and our sense of boundaries. And once again, this is where you end up with the honorable masculine, right? Like where you're like, okay, no, like I will accept you, but only under these conditions. And it actually turns out that with with things like borderline personality disorder, one of the best ways of managing a person in your life with that kind of problem is to have extremely firm and clear boundaries with them. It's basically to parent them because that's kind of what they're missing. And that, I mean, that is like, Zach Stein, for example, I mean, he talks about the, there are these kind of very covert, very like insidious forms of child abuse that are widely prevalent especially in American culture, where parents are very obsessed with their children in a way that is very narcissistically driven. What do you expect from a generation of children who have been controlled by their parents to reflect the ambitions 
of the adults in their life, where they've never been given the chance to develop a strong center. Do we blame those children for that once they're adults? Or do we, it, do we lend them a hand and show them a path towards developing a sense of self that allows for them to stand on their own in the future? So, I mean, those are the kinds of things that I'm thinking about because, like, I need to be healed. I'm like, if I continue to think of myself as, like, irredeemable, then I'm never going to heal. <laughs> you know? So, like, I can only imagine other people are like that, too. There's also the, the piece that it is a continuous process. Like it's, it's easy to um, think that you fix yourself and then you've fixed yourself and that's, that was done and in the past. I just wanted to say that for some reason. I don't know why. Self-awareness is a continual, it's a muscle that you have to develop, I would say. It's a pumping and I think of it as being related to the heart. Right. It's can you do you have the courage to face yourself? And this is this is absolutely something that's a continual process. You're never at the end of it. And then the other piece is like felt felt. I think it's really it's there's something around the well, what I'm what I'm going after, I think, is is this. It's actually something that I asked in the in the session as well, which is, what does she want? <laughs> what does the 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 dark feminine want? And I'm, I'm asking that from from a from a body that that at least have a, a feeling for what the dark masculine wants for me and those around me. Like how if I can bring him into relationship. Um, then, then there is great service that he could do, um, but but he has to be in relationship. He has to be in service. Um, mm. and, and what is your to to speak to that to to maybe give people a couple of lifelines on on that compassion piece? Like, what does she want? What does the dark feminine want um, for us? Like, what's when she's integrated? What does she uh, enable us to do? Why is it important that we integrate her? Okay. I mean, I think for the first question, what does she want? I think she wants the honorable masculine more than anything. She wants to be parented by someone with strong boundaries and by a force with of wisdom and compassion. So there's both there's both the the matriarchal uh, strength of being given attention a pure form of attention and also the sense of, of there being logical, meaningful and life-giving rules that are being enforced with clarity and compassion, but also firmness and, and, and strength. That's really what the dark feminine craves, which is why the antidote to it in any given person is cultivating that honorable masculinity within oneself. So I, I think that that's part of what she wants is, is this like firm, caring force, um, consistency and strength. 
And in terms of why it's important to integrate, I mean, it's the harm that it does is quite a lot. The, the pattern perpetuating itself, you know, being manufactured essentially by the way that media functions, the way that um, attention, the attention economy functions, these physics of engagement perpetuate this weak center and also perpetuate this susceptibility to manipulation. And if you can hold yourself within the context of the reality that we're in, then in a decentralized way, you become protected from forces of manipulation. And I think that's pretty much the only way that we can move through this is to teach people the tools themselves to evaluate whether or not something that's coming into their field can be trusted. Like there's, there's no bureaucracy that can police information for us. It's you have to be responsible for the forces that come into your life at this point. Like we're in the wild west of information war. And if you are within the, the clutches of the dark feminine, then who knows? Who knows how you may be sucked into something outside of your control and torn up inside by the time you realize what you've, what you've been involved in, the kind of energy that you've been tapped into, right? So it's a critical thing, I think, for people to examine in whatever language they find resonant for them. Like in, in our circles, using feminine masculine is, is legible, but I think there are other ways of talking about it that don't use those terms either. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. Because it speaks to the story, I think, as well, like the Joseph Campbell type narrative that that people are are uh, seem to be keep keep hanging their coats on uh, at the moment. You know, I used to be bad, a bad capitalist. Now I'm redeemed, and now I'm doing good for the world. And yet, my uh, it's probably just judgment, probably shadows that I have to work with. But yet, I see most of these people um, seem to have a lot of shadow left. And a lot of things that that uh, would probably be really, really nicely, it would feel good for them if they would um, direct their attention towards them and want to see those patterns. Because the subject matter, I mean, it's what we were saying before, like just because the subject matter changes doesn't necessarily mean that you've dealt with anything. You know, uh, you stop buying oil, you start buying solar panels. I mean, it, it doesn't have to mean anything. It could, it doesn't have to. I don't know. It's hard. It's, 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 I, I think depression is one of the things that comes in as a force that attempts to change patterns. And I think the more integrated form of depression is, is retreat is meditation retreat, whatever form of retreat, like moving out of this continually perpetuating energy that never rests and pausing draining all of that energetic movement and sitting still and it's in those contexts that you can begin to reorient your patterns but if you're you're constantly moving 
you don't really have, you can only move from where you are if you're just, just in the grind. But if you retreat, which is often what depression is doing to a person, it's like, where my body is forcing me to retreat. Like, I can't do anything anymore. I just like have to lay on the couch all day. It's like the body itself is intervening on the energy in that that is available to it and just like forcing someone to stop moving. But there are really healthy ways of doing this and building this into, into your culture. And I see that as a possibility. And, you know, there is that's becoming more legible in some places. It makes sense to go on a meditation retreat for a few months to stop doing what you're doing, to stop living in the rat race and take a moment to pause and potentially completely change the direct trajectory that you're on. And I think we have to keep doing that because like pumping this muscle of self-awareness requires shifting frames, moving from a place of maybe high energy to low energy, whatever it is that allows for you to shift perspective and to engage with the bigger picture and see how your own existence is still being motivated by the shadow. You need that kind of getting close, going far away. Mm -hmm. And I think that we're starting to develop more of those tools but you know it is a lifelong process and people are continuously having to you know face themselves and it's really hard it's really really hard i really like that because it it, it has it, it really there is something this profoundly wise around i mean it is it relates to that sort of what is it bio akumulafi like his his quote about times are dire we have to slow down mm-hmm. um oh yeah and there is the, and it's also that that perspective taking but what i desire or like what i long for is for people to also dare to step back in to to do that to to keep engaging in that part mm-hmm. and not just eject themselves and and go on another type of escape um, but rather to to actually step back in and generate enough energy in themselves and in their new communities so that they can have the energy to actually start being vital and bringing vitality in and, and show the world what vitality looks like. Um, mm-hmm. Because otherwise, you know, and especially with, with the fact that we have these technologies that are out there and, and the way that they are relating to energy and, and resources and so forth. And because they're exponential and because they don't necessarily need more people, you know, it doesn't matter if more and more people step out. Um, we are still going to run the earth into the ground. Um, she's, she is, um, she needs us to step up. She needs us to take responsibility. That's what I believe firmly. And she needs us to kind of, yeah, reclaim our position as custodial species. If, if you like that language, but, um, whatever it might be. Totally. Yeah. I I think that's really true. I mean, there are more traps than Mm -hmm. there are golden paths. And that's where the compassion comes in, right? Like, and, and knowing that critique is important to, to be like aware when you see someone, you're like, Oh, that guy, I've been watching him. Like he's getting trapped here and here and here and here. But 
making sure that you're actually taking that knowledge that you're that you the benefit of being able to observe the patterns of other people and taking that analysis and turning it in on yourself but also making sure that your critique is backed up by a, a, a feeling of compassion because if we can't extend compassion to ourselves and and just a humility that we do we get trapped we, like there's so many traps in our world uh and that's part of part of existing is is learning that there are temptations there are devils everywhere who are they're trying to offer you easy ways to 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 continue on your path and you may not recognize the devil the next devil that comes and tries to seduce you you're more most likely you won't because these are forces that are much more powerful than we are especially when we can't recognize we, when we can't see the signs and i don't know i mean i think that regret and remorse and shame and guilt are the kinds of emotions that you end up having to deal with when you recognize that you've made a serious mistake and that you can't go back and you can't change what happened and that that looping is is part of what we are trying to avoid by not looking at the mistakes that we've made or the traps that we find ourselves in and the thing that actually allows for you to overcome the grief of having made mistakes and wasted precious time and wasted precious resources is compassion and forgiveness. And when you're facing yourself and your own wastefulness, sometimes that's, that's the hardest person to actually forgive is ourselves. And so if we can constantly be, be facing all of our wastefulness and and just abuse and harm that we've done and still find a place still find the place inside of ourselves that can love who we are and embrace our life that's that's the energy that i think is the true self and it can face the reality that mistakes are real that things can literally be lost and never recovered that that's part of what we're facing now, that any, any given mistake in your life that you've made that cannot be recovered from, the feeling of that can be used to empathize with the reality that we're living in today of, of losing species that will never come back, of losing history that we'll never be able to see again, of, of losing people to all sorts of calamities that will never walk the earth again. You can use that as a form of empathy. And unfortunately, we're not even trying to go there, you know, most of the time in our lives. Like we, it's very, it's hard to face those things in our personal realities. But in my experience, it's facing that dark stuff that's actually given me the capacity to empathize with other people, with the world at large, and with our historical moment, and also see that it's not so much that I'm going to be a savior of this. It's, 
it's just a practical acceptance of what is that's necessary. It's it's just taking care of the world that you touch because you want to go to bed at night. You know, it's it's the grandiosity kind of loses its allure once you realize that you're also making mistakes, even when you know, you think you know how to do better. It just it's it's humbling. <laughs> you know, it's just like okay. I guess I'm just another person who's just trying to figure it out. And that's, that's probably as much as we can help for within this, within this context of, of these accelerating runaway systems, you know? Um, yeah. And what I'm hearing you say is also, I mean, at least another way of, to me to, to kind of frame that would be like where it's, it's, <laughs> We're conserving energy in a way. So one way is that instead of fighting that which is already there, which might be dark or hard, we welcome it and, and dare to pick them up and take a look at it. And what you seem to be speaking to, what I've definitely seen in my own, is that when I, when I voice the shame, when I make it visible, when I hold the regret and, and nurture it and realize that that's part of, that, that I have regret is also, it says something about me. Um, because I could also not regret, um, and that is, it could be even a beautiful thing. So that's, that's a good way of conserving energy. And what it's led me to as well is to find these things that are actually locked up, that are pushed away. And, and these are these sort of repositories of energy that are, are stuck in forms of trauma. You might want to call them tra trauma or, or not. I mean, but big and small, like that are been perpetuated over short times or long times. And those I mean, these are storages, again, that we could, could unlock. And when they start to move, when they start to come undone, and, and we get access to that part of ourselves again, um, that, that's, at least for me, it's enough energy to fuel me. Like, that, then that's, that's the energy that I need. Instead of sucking it from someone else or picking it from affirmations or whatever it might be, that, that the dark feminine then, you know, as we've been speaking mm -hmm. about her now, wants it all of a sudden that that intrinsic energy bubbles mm -hmm. and so yeah it's just beautiful and and yeah it also feels like a, a kind of a good sort of pausing point or, or stopping point and at the same time is there anything else that you would want to bring in now <laughs> mm -hmm. that should be said uh yeah i mean it's it's an it's an ongoing and very interesting conversation and i really appreciate you inviting me to have this discussion i i feel more stimulated to to be thinking about it so i'm very grateful for that and i also you know i guess the one thing i would say is that uh you know, using these terms is, is, is not really what the important part is. It's more about getting to the root of how these dynamics function. And the dark feminine and the dark masculine, I think, are evocative in a way that I find aesthetically appealing. But I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't, uh, you know, say that there's some sort of like inherently like inherent necessity to talk about them in that way in particular. And so coming at it from all of these different 
these different modes and lenses and perspectives is something that I find to be particularly interesting. And I would invite anyone who is inspired by this conversation to use the terms as much as is is exciting to them and to be exploring the other ways in which we can understand these forces as well. So that's that's how I would um, invite invite people to to continue the conversation. Is that there's lots of ways for us to talk about these things, and like we could have had a whole conversation about extractive uh, energy and circular economies, <laughs> and still talked about the same principles, right? So, yeah. Thank you for making that explicit. Um, and if people want to find you, interact with you, or or I mean, um, yeah, in any way that you would like them to to find you, <laughs> where can they where can um, they do that? <laughs> yeah, people can find me uh, on Twitter. Uh, I'm at spiral underscore virus, and that's pretty much my main spot right now. Um, I'm not particularly active on social media at the moment, um, but I do check my messages and DMs and stuff. So if anyone needs to get a hold of me, I'm available there. And yeah, I hopefully will start getting back online, but um, it's a tricky place to be. So I've been I've been taking my retreat and will hopefully be back with a much stronger center and will be able to actually hold the space that I'm that I have the intention to hold. Um, on the internet so yeah thank you i'll make sure the twitter handle is in the podcast uh, notes as well so you can find the link there thanks so much for taking the time to to do this and um yeah it's this this was a fun dance for me so i really appreciate it thank you thank you